I'm going to have Dave just walk around with me everywhere I go to play the guitar as I enter rooms and stuff. That's nice. Well, it's a privilege to be with you all today, and I'm excited to uh, talk a little bit about the discipleship pathway that we have here at Crosswinds. As the pastor, as a community life pastor, one of my biggest areas of responsibility is, is adult discipleship, you know, helping people get plugged into ministries and connected with other people that can help them take the next step on their spiritual journey, whatever that next step, step may be. And, you know, if you pay any attention here at Crosswinds, you've no doubt heard the term discipleship pathway before. But it's our hope here that that term is becoming more than just a phrase you hear, but something that you are intentionally and consistently engaged in. That's what we want to have happen here at Crosswinds. Everyone is on a journey of discipleship, on a spiritual journey, and for all of us, our journeys look different. Our journeys look different and unique, but we all find ourselves arriving at these kind of crucial, pivotal milestone moments in our spiritual journey, these landmark moments, if you will. And at Crosswinds, we've identified four of those. And we've decided to call them Believe, Belong, Become, Bless. We intentionally chose four B words. They roll off the tongue. And so I did a test last service. We're going to do it again this service. Say it with me. Believe, belong, become, bless. Now without me. Okay. All right. You guys have passed with an A. You can go home with a star by your name. Good job. Good job. Believe, belong, become, bless. But the reality is, is everyone is on a spiritual journey and, and you know, we want everyone to get to a place of choosing to believe, a place of believing in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the starting point on our spiritual journey. After choosing to believe, a person who continues on the journey will begin to discover what it means to belong to God and his church. And if we continue on the journey beyond that, as we, as we believe and belong, a person will begin to really embrace his or her new identity in Christ. As we, as we discover what it means to become who God created us to be. And believing in Christ, belonging to God and his church, and becoming who God created us to be will lead to opportunities to bless others and be blessed by others as we go on this journey together. So believe, belong, become, bless. These are the, the milestones, the, the landmark moments that we arrive at, but there are all sorts of steps in between and and. You know, it's a reciprocal process. We don't ever leave one of these landmark things behind, you know. We have to choose each and every day to believe God, believe in Him, His plan for humanity. We don't just choose to believe once and then we're done. We have to choose every day to continue believing. We have to choose each day to belong to God and His church by accepting our place within, God, within God's family and His church. We are continually growing and learning and changing, and each day on this journey, we become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And then until Christ returns, there will never be an end of opportunities to bless others, be blessed by others, and be blessed by God. That's the discipleship pathway. That's the reciprocal process that we see. Now, we're going to dig into a passage of Scripture this morning uh, that highlights the impact and the necessity of discipleship. We'll get to see this account from God's word of people engaging with one another in the discipleship pathway. We're going to look at the account of the conversion of Saul. 
the conversion of Saul, the notorious persecutor of the early Christian church, as he becomes Paul, the great apostle and planter of Christian churches. And I think it's the perfect lead into next Sunday as we kick off a brand new series looking at, at the second half of Paul's uh, letter to Roman, to the church in Rome. So in this passage, we get an amazing picture of discipleship in action. And we see the fruit of the labor of discipleship. Persecutor Saul did not become Apostle Paul without discipleship. And it's maybe a little cliche to say this, but if the Apostle Paul needed to be discipled in his spiritual journey, how much more do you and I need to be discipled in our spiritual journey? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn into Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at this entire chapter. This entire chapter covers the conversion experience of Saul as he transforms from persecutor Saul to the Apostle Paul. But I want to invite us to bow our heads and Go to God in prayer before we read Scripture this morning. Go ahead and bow your heads and just prepare your hearts for this experience today. Lord God Almighty, we thank you so much that we get to gather here as the body of Christ. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord, and just how easy it is for us to access it, not just through books, that tangible books, but through apps and everything. Lord, we have access to your word every day. Holy Spirit, we invite you to take over this place, open up our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of the Holy Scripture. Be challenged by them, transformed by them, inspired by them. We can go and we scatter and live them out. Love you, God. Give you praise. All right, Acts chapter 9. Let's start with verses 1 through 2. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we, we see Saul here. This is uh, not long before this kickoff of this uh, conversion experience. Saul had presided over the murder of Stephen. Stephen was the first disciple killed in the name of Jesus Christ. He was stoned to death. And and Saul sat there. Scripture says, as he observed, the other Pharisees laid their coats at Saul's feet while they went to throw stones. I just picture Saul kind of sitting there with this kind of approving stare as, as they were murdering Stephen. This is who Saul was. And now, having you know, ravaged the church in Jerusalem, Saul is, is talking to the other church leaders in, in Jerusalem, and he says, I want to go to Damascus now. Because this death of Stephen had led to this great persecution of the church. It had led to the disciples fleeing Jerusalem and spreading out all over the region. And Saul is going to lead the way to, to go to Damascus, literally with arrest warrants in hand, to drag these disciples of Christ out of the synagogues and haul them off to jail. And what I want us to do as we look through Saul's conversion experience is I want us to pay attention to the, the posture, the posture that Saul takes towards God and then the posture that others take towards God because our posture towards God, it, it directly influences our capacity to take our next step in our spiritual journey. You can think of our posture towards God as our attitude towards God. We have a, a mental, physical, uh, and spiritual and emotional attitude towards God. And our posture towards God is extremely important as we journey in discipleship. So when we first meet Saul here, he has a very strong posture of defiance towards God. He has a posture of defiance. And Saul's posture of defiance towards God led to rebellion against God. Again, we see Saul with this, this immense posture of defiance. 
Saul had not just chosen to merely turn his back on God. He had not merely decided that God was irrelevant to him. He had not merely decided that he was going to ignore God. Saul had set out on a mission to destroy the church that God was creating. This is where we find Saul. And again, after he had contributed to the ravaging of, the, of Christ's church in Jerusalem, he's now just hell-bent on going wherever he needs to go to finish the job. And so he's on his way to Damascus. Drag disciples out of the synagogues and call them off. Now, what does this mean for us? The reality is that any of us who have not yet chosen to believe in God, we have taken on a posture of defiance towards God. We've taken on a posture of defiance towards God. And even those of us who have chosen to believe, anytime we turn our backs on God or we take matters into our own hands or we say, God, I got this more than you do, we have taken on a posture of defiance towards God. Now, we may not be actively trying to destroy the church like Saul, but turning our backs on God is rebellion against God. And I can look back on my own life, and I see that I spent years and years rebelling against God and his will for my life. I had this posture of prideful defiance. But here I stand today. So good. We all know someone who doesn't believe in God. We all know someone who hasn't made that decision to accept God as their Lord and Savior. And the hard truth is that they are rebelling against God. That's a harsh truth. But here's good news. There's good news in all of this. Good news is God loves all those in unbelief. God loves us in our unbelief. God loves us in our doubt. God loves us in our defiance. He loves us when we're rebelling against him. And he is in relentless pursuit of all of us. Relentless pursuit of us. And we'll see as we continue to explore Saul's conversion experience, God was in relentless pursuit of Saul. In our spiritual journey along the discipleship pathway, a posture of defiance towards God will ultimately lead to rebellion against him. Let's continue. Acts 9, 3 through 9. It says, Now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he and for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So again, Saul is on his way to arrest disciples of Christ. He is intent on destroying the church that Christ had just established. And he's riding high with power and authority and purpose. What happens to him? What happens? We see, we see Saul, through a series of events here, take on this posture of humility towards God. Saul takes on a posture of humility, and this posture of humility towards God led to belief in God. Saul takes on this posture of humility because he was humiliated by God. That's literally what happened. He was humiliated by God. He's, he's riding on this horse, and he's literally knocked off his high horse. He literally was knocked off his high horse. God laid him out. God laid him out. He did. God knocked him over. 
God says, you think you know what you're doing? You think you know better than me? Let me lay you out. Anybody experienced that before? Yeah. yeah. Saul, he goes from being uh, the leader of men to being led by the hand by the men he was leading because he couldn't see anymore. He goes from denouncing the power of Jesus Christ to being told what to do by Jesus. To step out of rebellion towards God is to take a step of believing in God, but that step of believing always requires humility. And humility leads to believing. And so for us, we have to acknowledge that there is someone greater than us. That takes humility. We tend to go through life thinking we're the, we're the best. We, we know everything. We have all the answers. We have to acknowledge that there is someone greater than us. We have to humble ourselves to acknowledge that we are not the center of our own little universes. We have to accept that on our own, we are lost. On our own, we are in desperate need of salvation. And we have to accept that we cannot save ourselves. That requires a posture of humility. Now, the good news is that God extends the gift of salvation to all those who believe. And he does so with grace and mercy. He could save Saul, the great persecutor of the church, then no wonder he was able to save. Now we can make that journey towards believing as hard or as dif- and, and difficult as we want it to be. God doesn't have to knock us out, lay us out. We can choose to believe, you know? But sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom. I look back on my own life. I had to be laid low by, by God before I would acknowledge that there was a God. I thought I was God's gift to earth, and I didn't even believe in him. I had to be laid low. In our spiritual journey along the discipleship pathway, a posture of humility towards God will ultimately lead to believing in God. We see that in Saul. We still see that today. Let's continue. Acts 9, chapters 10 through 17. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we're introduced to someone new. This story is not just about Saul because discipleship is never, ever, ever a solitary endeavor. Discipleship is all about believers coming alongside one another to help one another as they journey. And so Ananias enters the picture and enters Saul's life. Ananias is a disciple of Christ in Damascus, and God speaks to Ananias. He says, hey, there's a guy named Saul. He's chilling over at this house on Straight Street, and he's been given a vision that a guy named Ananias is going to come pray for him and lay his hands on him. He's going to regain his sight. So he's over there waiting for you, Ananias. 
to go do that very thing. And it's interesting, we see Ananias, he, he responds in a way we probably all would have. When God calls on him, Ananias is like, here I am, Lord, ready to go. And then God says, go to Ananias and lay hands on him. And then Ananias says, Actually, I'm not so sure I want to do what you're calling me to do, God. That's really hard. You know, I thought you might have me do something easy. You want me to go do this? He says, God, I've heard of Ananias. He's a tyrant. He's literally here to arrest someone like me. And you want me to go to him? I should be staying in hiding. This is where we meet. God says, I got this. Go meet this new believer. And it's in this part of the story that we see Saul and Ananias both take on a posture of obedience towards God. They've taken on a posture of obedience to God. Saul has been told by God to wait for Ananias to arrive before doing anything else. And Saul is obeying and doing just that. And interestingly enough, we see in these early days of Saul's conversion, he's, he's believing and he's being obedient and he's actually engaging in spiritual disciplines already. He's engaging in solitude and prayer and fasting. And I read that about Saul, and I wonder, how many times do I engage in solitude and fasting? Here's Saul doing it. He just, he just became a believer. And then we see Ananias trusting in God's protection and obediently goes to the house to pray with the person who had come to arrest him in the first place. We see obedience leading these two men to realizing that they belong to the same God and our brothers in Christ. Obedience leads to obedience leads to It's interesting to note the reciprocal nature here of discipleship taking place with Ananias. Ananias is already a disciple of Christ. He's already made the decision to believe, but here we see him again having to choose to believe again. He has to make a choice to believe that God will protect him, that God knows what's best, that God has a perfect plan and perfect will for Ananias and for Saul. He had to choose to believe that. And then we see Saul have to take on this posture of humility to say, okay, God, your plan's better than my plan. You know better than I do. I'm going to listen. See this, this believing and belonging taking place between these two. He allows, Ananias allows himself to become who God intended him to be, which is a friend and prayer warrior, Saul. And then he blesses Saul with his presence. You know, as we hit these major milestones on the discipleship pathway, we don't ever leave the other ones behind. We're constantly engaging in all the stages. Saul and Ananias' posture of obedience towards God led to this renewed belonging to God and his. God wants us all to obey him and engage. He wants us to belong to him and his church and partner with him to help others know what it means to belong to him and his church. And it's interesting, but it's such good news that, that God has chosen in his perfect will to partner with us imperfect, messy people. He chooses to use us to help fulfill his perfect plan for humanity. And I know that for most of you here, like Ananias, you've already hit the milestone of believing. You've chosen to believe in God for salvation. But God wants you to know what it is to belong to him and his church through obedience to his command. And for new believers, if you're new to faith like Saul was, there is great comfort in knowing that you now belong to the biggest family in the universe. You have brothers and sisters wherever you are. 
In our spiritual journey along the discipleship pathway, a posture of obedience towards God will ultimately lead to belonging to God. Continue. Acts 9, 18, 22. It says, And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So here we see Saul in just a matter of days. He experiences quite a journey. He experiences quite a journey. With humility, he transitions from open rebellion and defiance towards God to believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and accepting his gift of salvation. Then we see Saul waiting in obedience, this posture of obedience for Ananias to arrive. And then he experiences what it is like to belong to God and his church. And now we see Saul enter into this posture of acceptance. He enters into this posture of acceptance. He begins to accept who he has become in Jesus Christ. Saul recognizes that he is now a new creation with a brand new purpose. Saul's posture of acceptance towards God empowered him to begin to become who God created him. Saul experiences a a physical and spiritual transformation. I think that was Pastor Craig that made that big noise back there. But anyway. (laughs) He experiences this physical transformation. And and spiritual transformation, his physical blindness leaves him, but so too, more importantly, his spiritual blindness leaves him. And Saul recognizes that God is what he needs most of all in life. And I think it's very interesting that Saul, having gone three days without food, chooses to be baptized before getting a bite to eat. I go a couple hours without food and I'm pretty hungry. I've never gone three days without food. I imagine he was starving and dreaming about just a piece of bread or something. But he says, you know what? Before I even have food, I need spiritual nourishment. I'm going to be baptized. This posture of acceptance of saying, God, I am yours to do with me as you please. It positions Saul to be strengthened by God in a supernatural way. And now Saul doesn't just sit around. He, he, He steps into his new identity and he starts to become who God created him to be. He begins sharing his testimony. And he begins proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. What a transformation. What a new purpose. He embarked on a journey with the purpose of arresting disciples of Christ. Now he himself is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The good news for us is that the same God that began a good work in Saul is the same God who wants to work in and through us. The same divine power that enabled Saul to to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to begin to become the Apostle Paul is the same divine power that God will bless us with if we take on a posture of acceptance and say, God, use me as you will. In our spiritual journey along discipleship pathway, a posture of acceptance towards God will ultimately lead to becoming empowered to become who God created us. Let's keep going. 
We're almost done here. Acts 9, 23-31. It says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the, to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Helenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. In this passage, we're introduced to another new person in this story. Saul, he finally makes his way back to Jerusalem to introduce himself to the leaders of the church. And, and he's met with, with resistance and skepticism. And with good reason. With good reason. Saul's heart had burned with hatred towards these very men that he was trying to get in good graces with. He tried to destroy these people. And they thought it was a ploy to, to trick them and actually arrest them. Enter Barnabas. Barnabas is the great encourager and he steps into the gap for Saul. He stands before the other leaders and he said, no, 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 Saul is telling the truth. You should have seen what happened to him on the road to Damascus. You should have heard him preach Jesus Christ in the synagogues in Damascus. We need to let him in and welcome him. And we see that, that the church leaders, they, they take on Barnabas' assessment and they welcome Saul. What we see here now is we see Barnabas and Saul and these church leaders taking on a posture of unity. Taking on a posture of unity. Aligning with God and with one another. And unity with God and within the body of Christ leads to blessing. And we see the church experiences peace and comfort and begins to multiply because of this. Saul and Barnabas and the other church leaders' posture of unity towards God help them bless others and experience God's blessing. Listen to this, though, the good news. The good news is God is still the head of the church, and he still wants the church to be the hope of the world until Jesus Christ returns. We can take on a posture of unity towards God, embracing God's plan and perfect will, and embracing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what is going to happen when we do that? we become an unstoppable force. When Jesus was establishing the church, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and it will become a movement that the very gates of hell cannot stand against. You know what? The gates of hell don't move. It's not like Jesus was saying when the gates of hell assault the church, the church will stand against it. Jesus is saying, no, the church will go to hell and assault the very gates of hell and the gates of hell will topple down. That's the kind of movement of the church that God wants. And look around the world today. The world needs a united church. I've been involved in church for years. I've seen people get upset over the color of carpeting in a, in a, in a sanctuary. I've seen people get upset when the church says, we're going to get rid of pews and go to chairs. I've seen disunity 
disrupt the work of the church. But I've never seen it on the scale that I've seen this past year. When Christ followers, brothers and sisters in Christ, can't agree on whether or not to wear masks or, or we're separated by our political views, let me tell you something. God does not want that in the church. He wants a united church. The world needs a united church. And nothing can stand up against a united church. Nothing. That's the answer for the world right now. Don't look at what's going on in the world and say, I wonder what they, what's going to fix this. Don't wonder that. We know what's going to fix it. God has won the war, and he's using the church to continue that movement. We just need to be united. In our spiritual journey along the discipleship pathway, a posture of unity towards God will ultimately lead to opportunities to be blessed by God and blessed by others so that we can continually bless Let's do a recap. Right, we covered a lot. 31 verses of Scripture. That's it. Paul had to repent. Then he prayed and fasted. Then he was discipled. Then he received the Holy Spirit. Then he was baptized. Then he was discipled some more. Then he shared his testimony and he proclaimed Jesus Christ. Then he was discipled some more. Then he took on a role of leadership in the church. And then he became the Apostle Paul the greatest church planter the world has ever known. His letters are still transforming Christians today. He started out riding high on a horse and he ended up flat on his rear end. He started out leading men and then he had to be led by the hand because he was blind by the very men he was leading. He had to be led by them. He started out with this purpose to destroy the church and throw disciples in jail and he ended up waiting on a disciple to come to lay hands on him and pray with him. It's discipleship in action. Ananias was obedient and discipled Paul through prayer, acceptance, and administering the sacraments. It took Ananias to humble himself, to believe in God and his power, and to obey. Barnabas was obedient, and he discipled Paul through encouragement and support. That's discipleship in action. And you know what? All this we covered took over a period of three years. Discipleship is not some overnight thing. It's a lifelong process and journey that we're all on. Humility leads to believing. Obedience leads to belonging. Acceptance leads to becoming. And unity will lead to blessing. This is the journey we're all on. For Saul, it was very unique. We're not going to go on the type of journey Saul went on. Okay? But we're going to experience some of the same things that Saul experienced. Discipleship pathway is something we all can and must engage in. In Acts 22, it's recorded the Apostle Paul, he stands before a large crowd in Jerusalem years after his conversion. And he recounts the, the story of his conversion experience. And he mentions, he talks about the influence that Ananias had had on him in those early days. And he mentions something very specific that Ananias said to him. It's recorded in Acts 22:16. Paul says, Ananias said to me, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. What a question. I've wrestled with that question. I want us to wrestle with that question. Why do we wait? And what are we waiting for? We all have a next step in our journey to take. What is that step? And if you haven't taken it, why? What are you waiting for? The first step is always to believe, to accept Jesus Christ for salvation. At Crosswinds, we just say, say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus, and we want to give you a yes box. 
So if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, don't leave here without doing that. Just say yes to Jesus and get a yes box from us. If you're watching online, you can say yes to Jesus and let us know, and we'll ship you a yes box. We want to go on this journey with you. I unintentionally bashed USPS last service. I won't do that this service. We shipped a yes box this week through UPS to make sure it gets there fast. We don't want you waiting a long time for yes boxes online. Let us know. We'll get it. That's the first step. But there are so many steps to take as we believe, belong, become, and bless. So many steps to take. Have you been baptized? If you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? Why wait? Are you journeying with someone through one-to-one discipleship? Are you plugged into a small group? Are you feeling held back by a hurt, habit, or hang-up? Well, have you checked out Celebrate Recovery on a Friday night? Are you serving on a ministry team? There is literally a place for everyone to serve here at Crosswinds. You like kids? Serve in kids' ministry. We want to have an 11 o'clock kids' ministry service. They need ministry partners. Serve there. Do you have a heart for students and middle schools and high schoolers? You want to help them journey through life? Serve on Wednesday nights. Do you like hospitality or helping others feel welcome? There's a place for you to serve. Do you like coffee? There's a place for you to serve. Do you like painting? Do you like cleaning? Do you like organizing? There's a place for you to serve. Do you have a heart for those who are grieving or going through the pain of separation or divorce or going through a financial struggle? There's a place for you to serve. Do you have a heart for praying for the sick or connecting with those who are lonely? There's a place for you to serve. Do you have a medical, law enforcement, or military background? There's a place for you to serve on our safety team. There is literally a place for everyone to serve. If, there, if you're not serving on a ministry team here, it's not because there's not an opportunity. It's because you haven't taken that step. And I ask, what are you waiting for? Are you financially supporting the ministries of this local church? God has blessed us so that we can bless others. God has blessed us so that we can bless others. If you're ready to take a next step or you need help determining what your next step may be, don't leave here today without connecting with someone. Connect with me, connect with one of the other pastors on staff, connect with with anyone on staff or any of our ministry partners. And say, I'm ready to take my next step. Will you help me do that? Or say, hey, I'm not sure what my next step is. Can you help me figure it out? We will. We'll do this together. If you're watching online, there's a ton of ways on our website you can connect with us. Let us know who you are. We want to help you take your next step. And if we're all taking steps, oh man, the church can't be stopped. If we're all taking our next steps in our spiritual journey, let's pray. Lord God Almighty, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for your power, your grace, your majesty, your love, your mercy, your kindness. We're going to sing a song, Lord, where we thank you for the very breath in our lungs. Thank you, Lord, for working in us, working through us, for choosing to partner with us, for wanting to have a relationship with us. I pray for anyone who has not made a decision to accept you as just their Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Pray that they would choose to believe, they would choose to stop waiting and take that step. Help us all, Lord, to recognize what our next step in our spiritual journey is. And we know and believe, God, that you will empower us by your indwelling Holy Spirit to take that step. And may we just fully embrace our, our 
place in belonging to you and your church. And may we journey together, Lord. We thank you and we pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.